0: This is Fresh Ed, a weekly podcast that makes complex ideas in educational research easily understood. I'm your host, Will Brem. My guest today is Yvetta Solova, director of the Center for the Advanced Studies in Global Education at Arizona State University. Professor Solova has spent her career studying post socialist education transformation processes.
1: The transition from the Soviet to the post Soviet has been so far from linear or predictable
0: in today's show she discusses some of her new work comparing Latvian textbooks before during and after Soviet occupation
1: that the post-socialist transition post Soviet transition in Latvia has not necessarily been associated with a neoliberal transition or with kind of the the Western idea of what Latvia should be so what we really see through these textbooks is that these new stories are really strongly rooted in other stories and they are transmitted from generation to generation. They are not necessarily always rooted in political and economic realities.
0: Iveta Silova, welcome to Fresh Ed.
1: Thank you, Will. It's great to be here.
0: What has happened in the Latvian countryside since the collapse of the Soviet Union?
1: Since the Soviet Union collapsed in 1991, the Latvian countryside actually has been in the middle of the national imagination and it has been at the center of political debates. So when you hear Latvian politicians, academics, or intellectuals talk about the future of Latvia as a nation, the conversation almost inevitably turns to the problem of the rapidly emptying and decaying countryside. Historically, it really has been perceived as an eternal source of nation's living strength, but since the Soviet Union collapsed, there are more and more narratives that portray Latvian countryside that, as um, in almost a state of uh, apac- apocalypse. People talk about declining population, deteriorating services, decreasing number of schools, and in general, this large and very um, scary phenomenon of rural emptiness, which is usually associated with the out-migration of the Latvian population into the European Union. But it's also connected to low birth rates since the collapse of the Soviet Union. But in general, there is just this very grave sense of pessimism which is associated with the Latvian countryside.
0: This notion of decay that you find, or this narrative of decay in the rural countryside, and, and it's a political debate, as you say, are there other narratives that coexist um, that say something about the, the Latvian countryside?
1: Absolutely. There are also other competing narratives that exist, and p- perhaps not um, they don't dominate the... Political discussion, but there are uh, narratives uh, that really place rural countryside in the middle of the neoliberal reimagination of Latvia as a nation. And they really talk about Latvian countryside as a space for economic development and growth. So these competing narratives suggest that Latvian countryside is not only a space of uh, decay, but it's also one of the possibility and an opportunity. So we also can hear simultaneously. Narratives that talk about the countryside, describing the mid-sized farms coexisting with traditional, um, with coexisting with traditional service with tourism services. They talk about um, organic plants that grow alongside imported ones, or that talk about industrial pig farms and with foreign capital that replace eventually smaller integrated farms. So there are really interesting competing narratives uh, and narratives that actually are contested on a daily basis. And uh, what I'm trying to look at is how this discussion of the rural countryside in Latvia also shapes possibilities for imagining and reimagining Latvia's post-socialist futures.
0: So to do that, you are looking at school textbooks and the images uh, and stories and narratives used um, across time. So why do you think that textbooks um, reveal these different narratives?
1: I My entry point into the textbooks really was through the examination of knowledge and power and the interplay between the knowledge and power. So I see textbooks but also policy documents, syllabi, teachers lectures, as uh, deliberately produced acts of knowledge, as educational discourses that um, are present that, that, are, that constitute a form of social practice and uh, that are reflecting also a recursive strategy with respect to power. So um, for example, when we look at the textbooks we, can see the different competing discourses that influence how people construct, perceive, interpret the world. But um, I- through textbooks we actually see the dominant social groups epistemological framework at work. So, uh, basically, what textbooks reflect what counts as normal or as good in a particular time and in a particular place. So as competing networks of power struggle to advance their own discursive visions of truth, this cyclical nature of knowledge and power production may be disrupted, it can be transformed, and it can be broken. And that's why I think this post-Soviet transitions constitute a very interesting place to study the disruptions um, in time. So where we can see how some of the hegemonic narratives may be losing their power and how they may be competing uh, with other narratives and how can they be replaced by some of the other imaginations.
0: And to do this, you looked at three different time periods in Latvian history, basically the the turn of the 20th century and then the time when the Soviet Union um, emerged in Latvia in the 1940s and then after the Soviet Union's collapse in 1991. So I say we go through each of these periods and you you can show us a little bit about What sort of images and narratives uh, were being produced in these textbooks, and what it says about power and and, and national identity and and the imagination of the rural Latvian countryside? So, what happened at the turn of the twentieth century? What sort of um, how was the Latvian countryside imagined in textbooks?
1: There is uh, from the very beginning there is this really interesting tension and. and how the Latvian countryside imagined. When in the rest of uh, Western Europe, the countryside really was looked at as something backwards, something that needed to be developed, both economically and political, politically, for the purposes of industrialization and nation-state formation, that was not necessarily the case in Latvia. In Latvia, the... Uh, the countryside really was always a space that was kept away from modernity, that was really imagined as the nation's lifeline and the foundation of the national ethos and uh, identity. And so um, already going back even to the pre-Christian pagan mythology and spirituality, we see this uh, very... Powerful celebration of the sanctity of nature and honoring its gods, and so even during the modernization period, during the um, and uh, the you know at the turn of the century, Latvians really resisted participating in these modernization discourses. So um, what we see um, instead is using. While the modernization is happening, obviously, at the same time, in parallel, we also see the construction of the national identity based on the imagery of the uh, rural landscapes, basically. So it's this really interesting attempt to, on the one hand, um, participate in modernization, but then on the other hand, also resist it by building national identities that is not linked to modernization, but that is opposite to it.
0: And that the opposite of modernization was perceived to be the, the countryside the countryside where nature
1: untouched countryside that is not touched by modernization
0: and how did this notion appear in textbooks at the time
1: uh, in the actually the very first uh, textbooks that appeared in Latvia were really trying to construct this idea of merging between the self the nature and the nation. So, uh, and this is, I think, where my research on textbooks and schooling really interestingly intersect with uh, research on um, critical geography or some of the scholarship in critical geography. And uh, so one of the notions that I use to try to understand it, which uh, I borrow from colleagues in uh, geography literature, is this idea of the pedagogies of place. And... uh, so I- it's the idea that th- we do develop socio-spatial consciousness that links us to particular locations, and um, that influences how we think about themselves, how, how we think about ourselves, and how we think about our place in the world. Right. So it's really directly linked to national identity. So these pedagogies of space help us then think how the identity is mapped onto um, onto the geographic landscapes.
0: And can you give an example of, um, I guess the example that stood out to me when I read your um, article or chapter was The White Book. Can you tell us the, the story of The White Book that was found in textbooks?
1: Yes. In the early 1900s, when the Latvian national uh, movement was developing, when the national identity was being constructed, a lot of the literature at that time actually was um, highlighting biographical uh, um, and other ethnographic work, and a lot of the biographic work really revolved around the uh, childhood memories. One of the most popular books that was written at that time was called the White Book by um, Janis Jansutrbins, and this book is still read as an obligatory, as a required reading um, in schools in Latvia um, throughout generations. But it so this particular book actually is a great example of how the self, the nature, and the nation is all merged into one. And I can read you a very short part of uh, the description of how the author is thinking, remembering his own childhood in a rural countryside in Latvia. So, so he writes, I remember shiny black birds, how they whistled around me and invited me to look up into the blue sky. There, they were swinging in the beautiful birch buds, All around our house were fields, groves, forest, hills. They all waved at me and invited me. Hail to you, gray sand, which once received my footprints in your soft hands. Hail to you, dear people, who so often steered my steps and thoughts to the good. Hail to you, old buildings, where I once dwelled and warmed myself. I think this is a very interesting and powerful uh, example of almost seamless merging of the self, the nature, the farm, and the childhood. And this is a very typical narrative that we can find not only in literary work, but also in school textbooks um, during various historical periods in Latvia.
0: And and you would make the argument that what the children were learning by reading uh, the white book was teaching them um, how to understand themselves but also, how they understand their place in the world um, using your or this notion of the pedagogy of place.
1: Absolutely. S- yes, so it's this idea of um, a very uh, conscious location of the child in a very particular space. And uh, by and so I- we can see that dance through. Um, Literatures through school textbooks, but it's obviously is also done in uh, just socialization outside of the school, obviously. I think the the point that I'm trying to make here is that school textbooks play an enormous role in this socio-spatial socialization as well.
0: Right, and, and when the Soviet Union occupied Latvia in 1940, this kind of reluctant embrace of modernization that happened previously seemed to be shattered, where modernization now became something that was fully embraced rather than distanced by imagining the rural countryside to be seamless with nature. Um, so can you give us some examples of what did the school textbooks look like during the Soviet period, and what did it say about the rural countryside?
1: So the Soviet occupation definitely interrupted this very idyllic image of the Latvian rural countryside where the childhood, nature, and nation intersected and coexisted. What we see in the 1940s is a total, very radical transformation of the rural countryside which um, in political terms included nationalization of land, forced collectivization of agriculture, liquidation of the individual homesteads. And this is often referred to by Latvians as the three acts of violence against the Latvian farmer and the Latvian citizen. But the goal here was to transform the landed peasantry into the rural proletariat. This, and one of the goals basically of the Soviet government was to unmake the nation of farmers and at the same time unmake this very close link to the rural countryside that um, hosts the Latvian identity in a way. So what we see in textbooks is that suddenly the images of rural landscapes become much secondary and they really become overpowered by the images of collective farms, by factories, hydroelectric stations, metro stations, railway stations, construction sites, anything to highlight modernity's power over nature. But I think what is really interesting also here that this iconography of modernity, of industry and urbanity tries to arise the same kind of awe and reverence in children that historically has been invoked by this very classical romantic imagery of rural landscapes so it's um, it's as if this uh, the process of modernization is losing its association with destruction and instead the idea I- the idea is to emphasize the power kind of this miraculous power of moderniz- of modernization
0: so the exact opposite in many ways
1: the exact uh, opposite in many ways but the associations that these images raise in a way is very similar something if children before were awed at the sight of the rural landscape now they are awed at the side of the modernization landscapes
0: some of the images in in the textbooks at the time were just incredible to see the how romanticized the images of the factories or the dam, kind of right alongside some of the nature, as if man was able to control uh, these, control the natural elements for industrialization.
1: And I think this is an interesting point: is that the the nature never really was erased from the Soviet textbooks. And if, even when we see the images of modernization, usually the the factories or hydroelectric stations are. Um, very often they're almost drowning in greenery of the nature. And so it's very counterintuitive. I I think one would imagine that the nature would completely be lost or destroyed, but what we see is this uh, coexistence side by side of some of the modernization efforts, but also this very strong, persistent line of the natural landscapes.
0: Why do you think that is? Why do you think there has to be the... The imagery of the nature coinciding with the imagery of industrialization and modernization.
1: Oh, that's a very good point. But I think so, this is one of the competing narratives uh, to the modernization. And I think, in the context of uh, the Soviet Latvia, I think the pure modernization um, imagery would simply not fly. I think it would be too far removed uh, from the people. People and would reject it. I think people would absolutely reject it. So I think it was this really delicate act of balancing some of the values that were really um, dear to Latvians uh, during the Soviet period with some of the Soviet values. So a very delicate balance of, um, you could say, the opposite values. So it's like the two are really coinciding. But I think also what I found in these textbooks, also the the authors were able to squeeze also these uh, very alternative also narratives and um, imagery of the countryside, which would really take us back to the pre-Soviet and pre-modern times, where we actually would see... um, some of the nature that is untouched by the modernization very rarely but now and then some of the texts or illustration would be kind of would find their ways into the textbooks
0: i i know this is perhaps beyond the scope of your current research but it occurs to me that you know who are these individuals that are balancing the the competing narratives inside the textbook during the Soviet period. Who were these authors?
1: So these authors were obviously under major political control and pressure. And um, I- and I think what they were doing were major political acts of trying to maintain some of the national imagery and spirit in the Soviet textbooks. But what I want to say is that they also were not the only ones that were doing this. So this also was happening outside of the school, in cultural life in particular. The Soviet government um, tried to uh, ban some of the Latvian national holidays, that many of the holidays actually are very directly linked to pagan traditions. At some point um, in the 40s and the 50s, some of these... Pagan holidays were banned, but the, the national drive was so strong to come together for these uh, celebrations that eventually the, gov- the, the Soviet government would close their eyes on it and would allow people to come together and celebrate the summer solstice or the winter solstice. So, um, kind of these uh, kind of parallel. Um, rendering of life of was happening during the Soviet times, both in school but also outside of the school. But we can see some of this uh, parallel life captured in textbooks as well.
0: Right. So it's like an uh, an official, unofficial recognition of other imaginations. Absolutely. So almost overnight, in 1991, the Soviet Union collapses. I mean, what effect did that have on textbooks in Latvia or on the imagination of rural countryside and modernization and industrialization and national identity?
1: So almost immediately after regaining independence, the depictions of urban life, of modernization, uh, really became few and far between. And in some textbooks, they almost completely vanished. And instead, what we see is a representation of the world um, as overwhelmingly pre-Soviet agrarian and overgrown nature with abundant vegetation and animal life. So it's almost like you are taken back in time to these kind of pre-Soviet, pre-modern images of the Latvian landscapes which almost always reveal these visual motives of sprawling, bountiful, colorful nature, almost on every page, and almost bursting off the margins of the pages. And when humans and society penetrate this natural space, it's uh, usually in this very idyllic countryside home context, which uh, shows families harvesting land, tending to their flock, or um, just enjoying the nature.
0: I was amazed to, to read that in some of those textbooks after the Soviet Union collapsed, the images of nature would change over the course of the textbooks as if the different seasons were coming into bloom.
1: This is another really interesting uh, observation because not only do these textbooks disrupt the modernization process, and kind of revert the uh, revert us back in time, but we also see how this linear procession of, li- well, linear understanding of time is disrupted, and it's turned back into the cyclical, natural conception of times. It revolves around the natural seasons. So um, we see it on both um, scales, kind of the reversal of the landscape itself back from modernization and into the kind of natural state, but also the reversal of time, kind of really undoing the linear progression of time that was again, um, really constructed and solidified during the modernization period, but also obviously during the Soviet period and really Kind of reorienting the child in time too,
0: and so although there in the in the textbooks post 1991, there is this um, embrace of nature and and of the Latvian imagination before the Soviet Union, but at the same time you say that there is a neoliberal imagination that also exists. How does that happen, and where do you see manifestations of that?
1: This neoliberal conception uh, really appears more outside of the textbooks, although I'm sure that it is just a matter of time when we will see it um, appearing in textbooks as well. So the textbooks really still portray mostly this um, idealized rural nature and the child in the nature, but outside of the textbooks we see many, many other discourses. And uh, some of them are really associated with the economic growth um, and rural development. And uh, so one of my favorite examples, for example, uh, is one of my favorite examples is uh, the discussion of rural countryside in the context of a bank loan where the bank advertisement talks about tries to convince people to buy land in the countryside by saying that the very first reason why you should consider moving to the countryside and buying land there is for the sake of your children. And uh, what we see here is that the rural countryside is associated with, uh, you know, a healthier lifestyle, more physical activity, and then at the same time, another argument is made that, and if you're, house is located in a picturesque location you can also turn your farm into a tourist location (laughs) (laughs) it's very interesting
0: so it's a blend it's a blend of um, this historical narrative of nature and self and nation blending in with this neoliberal notion of, of profit making
1: exactly yes
0: so what does all of this tell you about maybe the post-socialist futures of Latvia?
1: Well, I think one of the main points that I have been trying to, um, to highlight across many of my publications is that the whole process from the transition from the Soviet to the post-Soviet has been so far from linear or predictable. It has been uh, very diverse agra- across the different geographic locations, and it has been, you know, fairly unpredictable. What I wanted, what I wanted to try to show here was that this, that the post-socialist transition, post-Soviet transition in Latvia, has not necessarily been associated with a neoliberal transition or with kind of the, the Western idea of what Latvia should be, or uh, even. Know, raises al- it, it also raises a lot of tensions of what it means for Latvia to be a part of the European Union. So what we really see through these textbooks is that these new stories are really strongly rooted in other stories, and they are transmitted from generation to generation. They are not necessarily always rooted in political and economic r- realities. The way that the textbooks try to imagine children and their future is uh, really very strongly located uh, in a very particular landscape, so it's I- and it's rooted in very particular stories, which limits what the future can hold uh, for us. And uh, so, what we see here, just to you know summarize really quickly, is that this. You know, the, the, temporali- the temporality of childhood is fundamentally reimagined. It breaks the linearity of progress, it invokes the cycle of nature. And um, so the child remains bound to and conditioned by a very particular national landscape where neoliberal imaginaries really appear hardly hegemonic and post-national aspirations are very elusive and contemporary narratives of progress are very ambiguous. So the future, what I'm trying to say, the future is uh, actually wide open and it's being rewritten as we speak.
0: Well, Iveta Solova, thank you very much for joining Fresh Ed. Mm
1: -hmm. Thank you, Will.
0: Iveta Solova is director of the Center for the Advanced Studies in Global Education at Arizona State University. FreshEd's producers are Sherry Yang, Hong Zong, and Lushik Waba, and original music for FreshEd was created by Digital Primate. Thanks for listening. I'm Will Brem, and I'll be back next week.